Welcome to the Black Hereford Chronicles with Jen Hill. Here we discuss all things Black Hereford. Join me for in-depth conversations and insightful interviews relevant to your Black Hereford operation. This episode is airing just a few days before the American Royal Show, the ABHA sale, and the annual members meeting. I will be posting plenty of Facebook Live updates on the Black Hereford Chronicles page during the big event, so make sure that you're following that page if you can't attend in person. I think there should be plenty for us to talk about. This episode is sponsored by Cattle Tracks. Cattle Tracks is a low-cost, non-invasive way to track the movement of cattle, all with a cell phone app. The idea of individual animal tracing, calving all the way to the rail, isn't going away soon. In fact, we're seeing more branded programs and associations encouraging it. Cattle Tracks combines that traceability, data collection, and new technology in a way that our industry is moving you can find out more about them at www.cattletracks, and that's cattletracks.com. I also want to personally thank the guys over at Cattle Tracks for seeing the value in this podcast and stepping up to support it. The Black Hereford Chronicles has been a fun adventure, and seeing support for it has really made a world of difference to me. So thank you guys. All right, so the Black Hereford breed is small but mighty. And while we absolutely must grow and quickly if we're going to be lasting within our industry, there are a few benefits to our current size. One of those benefits is the ability to really get to know breeders of all sizes and types all over the country. We really are an eclectic group of producers. And because we're small, we have the ability to really see what many of our breeders are up to. I've always found it really interesting to hear what other breeders prioritize and what their breeding philosophy is, because I really think the best breeders of any breed definitely have a real philosophy and goal in mind. They're in it for the long game and they're willing to be patient. And I think that makes them interesting. I brought on Brian Detke out of Kansas to talk about his operation and philosophy. Detke truly values consistent breeding practices and a philosophy of consistency, a goal that I share with him. It's an interesting conversation about how someone else is working within our breed. Plus, you get to hear Detke talk about big butts a lot. Let's jump in. So I have a Black Hereford breeder here today on the Black Hereford Chronicles to just kind of talk about his operation and give us some insight into what some of our breeders around the country are doing. So Brian, will you take a minute and introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are and where you're at and kind of what your operation entails. Okay. Yeah. So I'm Brian Detke um, here in Marysville, Kansas. Um. We, we run about 80 head of cows. Most of them are registered. Um, my wife, she um, helped open a meat processing plant in Waterville, Kansas, and they process roughly 25 to 30 head every week. And so that's interesting. So I've learned a lot through that. 
I'm sure we could do a whole podcast just on that because that's a crazy business to be in. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a lot of things I thought I knew about, you know, the meat processing industry. And once we got involved with that, there was a lot of things that I was incorrect about, you know, so that was very eye opening for me. So, um, I've got three brothers and three sisters and, uh, two of my brothers, they run cattle, but they're, they run them separate from me. Um, and I went to college and I did, I went to a uh, junior college where I did animal sciences and then I transferred to UNK and finished up with ag business. So that's kind of my background on that. Um, family has been doing this since the 1950s. So we've, my family's done this a while. So then how did you get into Black Herefords? Because your family hasn't been doing that for 50 years. No, no. <laughs> my grandpa might roll over in his grave, but. Uh, <laughs> He'd yell at you that those are just baldies. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I, you got to listen to what your customer says and what your customer wants. and. I think I've got a good herd of registered Herefords, but I've been taking pens of bulls at the Topeka Farm Show every year, and ten thousand people look at my cattle every, you know, during that those three days of that Topeka Farm Show. And what I was hearing over and over again is, "Man, I I love your cattle, but you know, I can't take that red hide discount." And you know, I mean, if I guaranteed black calves, you know, I'd be a player in this. And um, I had a former customer or an old customer, he talked to me and he was going out and looking at black Herefords out at, in Utah, Brock Johansson's and wanted me to come along trying to get me convinced or whatever. And so we took a little, uh, we were out there probably three days. We looked at all of Brock's cattle, saw his country and how rugged it is. And, um, they convinced me to try it on some of my cows. And so we got a bowl and use it on my Herefords and, that's kind of how it, it happened. So I'm curious coming at it from the Red Hereford side then, because we've got a lot of members that are just new into cattle in general, or, mm-hmm. you know, my experience, we came at it more from the Angus side because we're also registered Angus producers. Mm-hmm. I don't have much experience with the AHA or the Red Hereford side. So do you think that has kind of shaped some of your operation and the way you make those decisions? Well, I want my black Herefords to be as similar to my red Herefords as I can. And I think actually having a red, I, I don't want to get rid of my red Herefords. Right. I think red Herefords can complement my breeding on my black Herefords. Um, even 20 years from now, I'd like to have a red Hereford herd and if I get a 75% bull, you know, out of an F1 and I want to breed it up, I use that 75% around my Herefords and I got, I got a purebred and I like the structure of my Herefords, you know, I mean, so I I think it offers me a lot of opportunities that way. Absolutely. When you've got, you know, growing up with those, all those generations of knowledge of those reds. Mm -hmm. I, I do think you're right. You know, when you mentioned that you would prefer to have, a more Hereford look. And that makes sense for you. And here we are on the Angus side of it. And we've got, you know, Joe gangster out there who looks just like an Angus. 
what is 87% Herford? I think our background, it, it does kind of change what our goals are. Well, I, I think that you can make this breed whatever you want to make it there. And I'm not going after this one way. I mean, I, I've got some high percentage black Herefords and I've got some Herefords. I'm breeding to an Angus, going to make some F1s and breed them back up. You know, right. so, I mean, I you can make this whatever you want to make it. There's so many opportunities and ways that you can morph this into what you want it to be. And I honestly think that one of the beauties of this is we can start from scratch with a Hereford and Angus and breed it up. And if we use the right Hereford and the right Angus, we can make a breed that's better than either parent breed, you know, by stealing the traits from both breeds. Absolutely. And that's part of the fun of being a new breed is that those, mm -hmm. those guidelines, those norms, even the ones that aren't regulation norms, but are just kind of what everyone in the breed has convinced themselves of, they don't exist as solid yet. So there is mm -hmm. still a lot of room to play. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, um, go ahead. Well, you've kind of talked a little bit about, you know, some of your goals and that you still want to have red Herefords going into the future, but looking at your whole operation and especially your black Herefords, but really the whole operation, what are kind of your goals for debt key farm and what are you envisioning 10 years from now, 20 years from now, where do you want to take this thing? Well, 10 years from now, I'm hoping that a few of my breeding goals where I start over with these F ones, I'm hoping that some of them start to play out to where, you know, I have that, F1's bred up to new lines and stuff. But then in 20 years from now, I'm hoping that we're to a point where we can have high percentage black Herefords that are homozygous black, homozygous pulled. But at this point, I don't think our operation's ready for it, um, quality and everything. I think that I'm still going to tr keep trying to breed the quality in and as opposed to breeding for hair coat color so much. Well, and I would push a little farther on that even and say, I don't think our breed is ready for yeah. pushing on homo. I, I, well, I, I think that we need to be very careful with um, how we go about it. Like I said, um, I think you need to breed a, a couple of quality animals first be and before you can cross them over to try to make them homozygous black per se. And, and every operation is different. I'm sure that there's some that are ready. My operation at this point isn't ready. So when you're thinking about getting ready for that and pushing into your genetics, what is it that you're aiming for in your cows? What is your primary focus? Well, going back to how we bred our cattle up from the start, we, we, we've had cattle since the 50s. And in the 80s, they had the frame race and everybody was raising these tall, lanky cattle, breeding for fads. And it, it was a train wreck. And that was one thing. We didn't chase fads. We still don't chase fads. But um, we kept racing these short, squatty cattle with the big butts on them. And everyone kind of laughed at us, you know, look at those short little squatty cattle, you know. And um, I always knew you had a mini breeder in there somewhere in you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. And there again, my, my grandpa would roll over at his grave. <laughs> that was that was a bad word back in the day. Um, <laughs> they, they had all the... Um, Oh, what do they call the genetic defects that they call mm -hmm. them freaks mm -hmm. with uh, um, the, well, they weren't minis, but I can't remember what they called them, but and the dwarfism. The dwarfs. Yep. Yeah. So 
anyway, yeah, we, we never chased the fads. We always um, raised big butted cattle and my goal is to raise big butted black Herefords. I'm hoping that I can, I've got generations of big butted black Hereford or big butted red Herefords. And you look at our herd bulls, they're, each one of them is pretty similar in type and kind. They got a lot of bone, big butts. They aren't tall. Um, they hold their flesh very well for our commercial customer. And that's what we're after is raising commercial cattle for the commercial man. It's not sustainable to trade cattle back and forth amongst breeders. And so we need to be opening up our markets for commercial customers. And um, so my big goal is to make some big butted black Herefords that are similar to my red Herefords. Well, and I think you're kind of uniquely positioned within our breed to help tack it, tap into that commercial market. It's something I've talked a lot on this podcast about the importance of us getting in with the commercial guy if we want to be a sustainable breed. And if you look at a map of Black Hereford breeders, we tend to be heavily situated in areas where commercial cow-calf isn't as prevalent. But you, mm-hmm. you know, you're out there in the Midwest. You are surrounded by those guys that will be the end users of our breed. So I think mm-hmm. you've got a, a really good ability to kind of see what their real needs are and work to meet those. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I'm kind of between big cattle countries. If you actually look at a map, um, they raise a lot of row crops where I'm at, but you get an hour South of me, that's heart of the Flint Hills. And that's where I sell most of my bulls is in the Flint Hills. And you know, they make their living on cattle. Um, they'll run 300 to 2000 head of cattle and up in the country where you're at, they run big operations too. I haven't been able to tap into the sand Hills quite so much, but we've taken, uh, bulls to the black Hill stock show and sold a few up in the Dakotas. And those are a great, a great market for us to try to tap into because a lot of those guys might run 20 bulls. You know, so if you can get in with one of them, they could buy me out just one one bull customer. Absolutely. I think the Sandhills market is going to be a little tricky to tap into having been here, you know, just not even a full year yet. But the Sandhills is very traditional. Oh, yeah. In a lot of ways, it's like stepping back in time a little bit when you get out here. (laughs) So it'll be interesting to see how hard you have to work. And and that's that goes right into that we have to market this breed to give give them something something that they can look at you know the carcass data you know and all that stuff is hugely important you know they know that they're going to get the heterosis from a black Hereford and I mean it, it's tough but you know you think about there used to be two different associations American Hereford Association and American Pulled Hereford Association and I remember when they first merged I I'd go to a sale and the Horned Hereford breeders, they wouldn't talk to me. They wouldn't look to me. Then after three, four years, I'm a, I'm great friends with a lot of old line uh, Horned Hereford breeders now. You know, it just took some time. Yeah. Yeah. So you've kind of talked about your desire to breed for, you know, big butted black Herefords, not chasing the tall lanky thing historically, not following those fads. The last episode I did, Logan and I talked a lot about culling and what our hard lines are, things that we absolutely will not keep. I'm curious what your standards for your operation are. What are the things that you are just not going to put up with in your herd? Well, <coughs> excuse me. 
they they have to breed. I mean, first and foremost, they have to breed and they need to breed on time. I generally, if a animal falls out of breeding sink, they never come back in. And a lot of times they just general in general aren't uh, fertile animals. So you can't put up with that. You'll lose money. You'll go broke. Um, but feet and legs, I mean, they're hugely important, especially where you're at, where really big pastures. I mean, they, they have to be able to stride out and, you know, their feet need to grow correct. You know, they can't have long toes, that kind of thing. Um, they, um, well, they need to be able to hold their flesh. Uh, I mean, all those things play into it. Uh, structural integrity. Absolutely. Um, I'm hearing you talk about all those things that again, come back to that commercial guy. You know, he's going to need a live calf on the ground. He's going to need a calf that then can function in big country. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And one of the things I probably haven't done as good a job on carcass merit is going to be hugely important. I mean, we're in this to raise beef and you know, people talk about, well, the Angus is all marketing. Yes, it's marketing, but, you know, they push that marketing and they've made their breeders really embrace that. And they're raising high carcass animals. They're raising animals at marble. And in the 80s, once again, back when the, we didn't have the consumer at heart, we weren't raising good carcass animals. You know, I mean, they just they didn't carcass up good. The stuff that w went through the feed yards wasn't consistent product and you watch a lot of people start eating chicken and pork and if people are going to uh, pay a premium we've got to raise a quality uniform product well and it may just be marketing but that doesn't matter because marketing still pays the bills well they marketed it and i think their animals have performed you know i mean they've yeah. they've backed it up with uh data so how much of, of that perspective of deciding, you know, we're in this for the beef business and that you want to focus more on some of those carcass merits has been informed by the meat plant and, and learning some of that, how has that impacted your operation and the way you want to move forward? Well, it's woke me up to what's really, what's real and what's not. Um, you can, you can see these animals come through and, like I said, I thought I could look at an animal, tell if it's going to carcass up or not. And you can't look at an animal necessarily and tell if it's going to carcass up or not. Uh, so you need to have the data to back it. And, you know, you need to be able to do your DNA tests and your, um, you know, understand the lines that do carcass up. You know, um, a judge can't just look at an animal and say, yeah, this one's going to marble it a five IMF. Well, they might know. say they can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But some they're, of that's just hairspray. <laughs> yeah. We uh, always have a few surprises every year when we ultrasound, you know, we just did that mm -hmm. last week and there was a big boy in there that we thought was going to come out real nice. And they got that camera on him and his back fat was not where we thought it would be just for exactly. looking at him. Yep. Huh. Yep. That it's it's eye opening. Like I said, you you go through and you look at those carcasses, and it's it doesn't lie once you once you see them hanging there. So yeah, it's it, I've learned a lot. One thing I learned is I know a lot less than I thought I did. <laughs> well, and it's interesting stuff. That's one of the things I kick myself for not getting more into in college was the meat science end of it. Yes. 
Yes. Well, I didn't have the opportunities where I went for that end of it, but um, I guess I'm learning some of it now. So, so do, you, do you have that hang time perfected yet? Well, there's definitely a happy medium in there and it depends on the plant too. Um, you can hang them longer if you have your humidities right and all that stuff. And your humidities, if you can't have your humidities just right, you got to you can't hang them quite as long. You know, I mean, humidity is a huge player in that. Um, you, you try to push for that, uh, three plus weeks. If your humidities aren't right, they start to turn. Yeah. So you, you gotta, you gotta know what you're playing with. Well, this is completely off topic, but I'm curious, what are you going to do with those Buffalo? Well, those aren't actually ours. That's, those are custom, um, from a, outfit in nebraska so they actually sell them retail i was figuring you were going to try to create some kind of black hereford beefalo (laughs) there is a local guy that actually raised beefalo for a lot of years i'm not sure how popular what they were i think he sold some through the sale barn and i think they did struggle a little bit going through the sale barn i think you have to find your niche market uh you know and sale barn wasn't the right niche market well, it's certainly not going to be where you get those big butts from. <laughs> no, no. I will say, though, I've tried the buffalo, and I thought they'd be dry and tough, and I was surprised. They're tender, juicy, and delicious, so I was v- very pleasantly surprised with it. Huh. We so. had at our old place, Utah, the state of Utah releases buffalo every year as wildlife. Mm-hmm. And so they would mix in with our cows sometimes, and we would occasionally wind up with some beefalo. And it was interesting because you couldn't tell right away. When that mm-hmm. calf was on the ground, it took until about weaning before you could really look at it and say, there's something going on here because that front end would just explode. But that was oh, it. Yep. Ah. Yep. Yeah. Those Buffalo. Yeah. I'm not getting into that. I definitely have to get better facilities. <laughs> I mean, you could at least start with llamas or something. Yeah. My daughter'd probably enjoy that. I mean, I we got a funny farm here. So, so I'm curious what your answer is going to be to the big question. What's one thing you would change about black Herefords? There's been a lot of talk about doing carcass data and all that thing. And I think that that is a direction we definitely need to go in. Um, We need to, we need to visit that big time because like a like a friend of mine that's in the black herper breed he said right now we're trying to fish for customers and we we threw out the bait and there's no bait in our tackle box to bring in these customers and so it, it'll be a tool that we can use if we get the carcass data right to say hey these animals they're performing in the feedlot they're getting hi- hybrid vigor and they're carcassing up with these other animals i um, you have to give them a reason to switch to a black herd breed. You can't just say the black hide anymore because there's so many different directions they can go with proven genetics and other breeds. So we need to prove these genetics now to help bring in some of these customers to this breed. And I think that's going to matter more and more going forward. You know, we've all been sitting on really, really narrow margins for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And anything we can offer that's going to bring our customers more premiums at the end of the game, whether it's CAB premiums, yield premiums, you know, grading stuff, anything we can give them that's going to show them a higher return is going to matter. It's, it can't hurt. That's for sure. 
Well, and one of the things we got to keep in mind is these black Herefords, if you look at the uh, guidelines to be in these uh, CHB and CAB programs, we qualify for both programs and we can enter them in these programs. We can feed these calves out and get these premiums through the CAB and CHB programs. Yeah. You know, that's money on the table. Yeah. And that's, that's the message we need to be communicating with our breeders mm -hmm. and helping our breeders learn how to communicate out with their customers. Yeah. I mean, well, and so if carcass becomes more important, you know, we, we get our, these carcasses, right. I mean, that's where our customers are going to make some money. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out debate wise, you know, amongst Angus breeders right now, there's kind of a, a divide of breeders who are very terminally focused and then a mm -hmm. pushback from breeders that are saying, no, 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 we're too focused on terminal. We need to push into maternal more. And I don't know if the Hereford breed is, is kind of experienced the same thing or not, but it, to me, it's always seems so silly because it's all balance. They both matter. It's yeah. Not that one is more important than the other. They both matter. And we can't just pretend like, it's okay to just be terminal or it's okay to just be maternal. Yeah. Single trait selecting will wreck a program. Absolutely. It's okay to look at both maternal and carcass traits. Yes. Yes. I, well, you'll, you'll wreck your cow herd if you become very terminal, terminally oriented. I mean, I've got to have a cow that, that milks, raises a calf, you know, breeds, uh, you know, mothering ability, all that stuff is hugely important because if she can't wean a calf off, you don't have anything to sell on the terminal end. Well, and it all is going to be tied anyway, because no matter how great of EPDs of carcass background and genetics my calf's got, if he's dogied, he's not going to grade. Mm -hmm. You know, at the end of the day, if he didn't have great milk right from the start, mm -hmm. we're done. Yes. That definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and tell us about your operation. I think the Black Herefords were unique in that we are a small, eclectic group of breeders. And so there's some really interesting things going out there in Black Hereford country. And it's fun to kind of find out how other people are doing it and what their focus on is and what their goals for their operation are. It's really exciting when I find breeders that have clear goals and know what their end game is in mind and aren't just kind of throwing stuff out there to see what sticks. And I've been very impressed at what you guys are doing there and kind of how well thought out your program is. So I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and kind of share that with us. Hey, I appreciate the podcast and I, I i look forward to it every other week that you do it so keep it up well thank you this podcast is sponsored by hi slash cattle company raising balanced angus and black hereford cattle with a mind for the future of the beef industry at hi slash we also run a commercial cow calf operation so we understand how important and impactful genetic choices can be you can take a look at ours at HISLASHcattle.com or by finding us on Facebook. Thanks for listening. You can get in on the conversation over at our Facebook page at Black Herford Chronicles, where we'd love to hear from you. Of course, don't forget to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts.